Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. What's up? Good morning. A day after we crowned yet another national champion. And it is not lost on me, like I said yesterday. It is not lost on me how cool that is to say after everything we've gone through. So congratulations to Baylor and Gonzaga and everybody else that played in the tournament. The fact that we were able to play one at all is also uh, an accomplishment in and of itself. But Baylor just flat out dominant last night. Uh, They were, along with Gonzaga, like I said yesterday, I mean, it was all season long in college basketball. It was one team or the other, and it was Baylor or Gonzaga all year long. And so we crowned a true national champion last night, and that was Baylor. I'm Michael Borky. Always glad that you are with me. Welcome into the morning live stream. Good to see you, Wayne. How are you? If you want to be like Wayne and comment, you can do just that. Just allow Periscope to access uh, your Twitter. It doesn't do anything other than let you comment here. So I would like to hear from you. If you've got something to say, I'll put it right up here on the screen. If you are uh, watching on stream, this does get uploaded in podcast form on iTunes or in Spotify. Mike in the morning on iTunes, uh, searching my name, uh, will turn up results as well in Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and a review. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just search my name right there and hit that subscribe button. This also gets streamed there and hopefully uh, I'll be adding some original kind of content there soon as well. Besides this live stream. So welcome in. A couple of things to talk about. I've got quick thoughts on that basketball game. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But still, we crowned a national champion last night. But then the most important thing today is that the NCAA tried their hardest and uh, successfully have done so, in my opinion, uh, to ruin what's great about the college baseball postseason. They announced some uh, a new process yesterday for just this year, at least we hope, uh, on how they're going to select host sites. So what does it mean? What does it mean for Ole Miss and Mississippi State? I'll get to all that. And also, we had a very significant injury in Oxford yesterday. Tim Elko went down uh, with what looked like a pretty significant knee injury, uh, going to get an MRI today, apparently, and uh, we shall see. Uh, but if he misses any significant time, it's a big blow for Ole Miss, considering the kind of year that he was having. But real quick, on this basketball game, so first of all, I couldn't make it. I don't know about you guys. I could not make it to the end of the basketball game. I tried my hardest. I uh, fell asleep on the couch about five, six minutes or so into the second half. I tried my hardest. I couldn't do it. I mean, I understand TV and and ratings and stuff like that. It, it's something that I'm pretty well aware of. And I know that they want to do late starts on a Monday night because people will be less inspired to group watch and they want to bring in the West Coast audience. But when you're starting at 925 Eastern, where 
Almost half the country lives in the Eastern time zone. More than half the country lives in the Central to Eastern time zone. What a mistake that is. I can't uh, imagine. So we'll get the ratings number later today. I'm sure it's going to be quite good because it was a national championship game featuring teams from Texas and Washington. So you had that element in there. The East Coast loves its basketball. But I cannot imagine that late start was good for the overall rating that we'll get this afternoon. So you'll get a a preliminary, and you should never look at preliminaries ever, even though media companies do it to, you know, force narratives about the NFL. Um, The final number will come out, I assume, later today. Um, I can't imagine it's going to be good, or, or as good as it could have been. Almost 9.30 Eastern time. Who is staying up to watch the end of that game? And especially because it was kind of a blowout, there's no way that number is going to be as good as it going to be as good as it could have been. Because people like me, although I guess I left my TV on, I didn't actually go to bed, but I didn't make it to the end. And I imagine a lot of you didn't make it to the end either. It just it's nonsense. I mean, I know they want to de-incentivize group watching because more TVs will be on nobody's doing anything on Monday nights. I get it. But instead of 9.30 Eastern, what's wrong with 8.30 Eastern? I don't know. More people would have made it to the end of the game. But um, late tip-offs, it's frustrating. I mean, over half the country, it's almost half the country that lives in the Eastern time zone alone. Definitely over half the country lives in the Central to Eastern time zone. And it was too late for them. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, anyway, Baylor, far more athletic and physical from the the amount of game that I could watch. Uh, and based on looking at the box score and game flow and stuff like that, this didn't change. Baylor was far more physical, far more athletic. And, of course, they made more shots. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Baylor shot uh, 43.5% from three to Gonzaga's 29% from three. Baylor actually only shot 45% from the field, but that three-point shooting was what did it. The rebounding just dominated, absolutely dominated uh, Gonzaga and rebounding. Baylor had 16, 16 offensive boards. They were more athletic, they were more physical. And a lot of people attributed that to, and I understand why, certainly, the game Saturday uh, where Baylor, they kind of looked like they had exhausted everything they could in that game, but this probably still would have shaken out the way it did because what happened Saturday or not, Baylor was far more physical and athletic at the block. Yeah, they made shots as well, of course, but that was the difference in the game. Baylor was more physical. They were more athletic. And not to pile on one individual player because he's a great college player. Uh, I mean, he had you know twelve points on five of seven last night. He had a great tournament, but uh, Timmy is not an NBA player. Like I said the other, day. I mean, I don't know how people are talking about Gonzaga has a lineup of four NBA players and they include him in it. He may make a G League, uh, something like that. Um, that guy's not athletic enough to play in the NBA. He's, he's just not. Um, he, he couldn't defend Baylor. I mean, it was just was a physical, complete mismatch. And when you're a big that can't shoot, uh, that can't physically defend. Um, they would switch on pick and rolls, and he'd be left with a guard, and they would just dust him. I, I don't know. I, the, everybody keeps talking about how that's an NBA player, and I, I don't see that. There's a handful of others on Baylor's team. Don't get me wrong. Um, Suggs especially is an NBA player. Um, 
but it's overblown. There are so many people that think that the jump from college basketball to the NBA, I, I guess, is like not that significant. Oh, well, he, you know, he averages 17 points in college, so he'll be great in the NBA. Nope, not a shot. He was a defensive liability. Um, really, anybody with size on Baylor could not match, or anybody with size on Gonzaga could not physically match with Baylor. So, um, excellent coaching job. I mean, guy took over a program that literally, not even kidding, had one player, you guys remember this, murder another player. That's the program he took over and turned it into a national champion. So uh, a good story, good win, great tournament. Glad that it happened. But I'm going to refrain from praising the NCAA today because of what they did to baseball. Here's why you're actually here. Here's what the NCAA did to baseball. Kendall Rogers, friend of the program, tweeted a couple of times yesterday, breaking some news. And at first, uh, what Kendall said really fired me up, really made me mad because he buried the lead for about 20 minutes there. Um, And sometimes information flows in inconsistently. So he put what he knew out there and then got some more clarity. But here's what Kendall Rogers initially said, uh, breaking the news on Twitter yesterday. He's from D1 Baseball. said, breaking, the NCAA will have predetermined regional and super regional sites in this year's tournament. The sites for both rounds will be announced the week of May 10th, and bids must be submitted by April 12th. So that really, that I mean, that fired, that made me mad. That fired me up because then, I mean, it's just the highest bidder. It doesn't matter. There's no merit to it whatsoever. They're just going to pick hosting sites, and that would have been awful and just ruined the atmospheres of college baseball. He did later clarify that the predetermined sites will be based on merit in late April. He said they're not going to be sites that are not that are selected for just no reason at all. So they will be merit-based, but in late April. So that is a little bit better, but not, not by a whole lot. So what does this mean? A lot of baseball will be meaningless. At the end of the year, including the SEC tournament, obviously the chance to win a championship is great, but every team is going to go to Hoover knowing that they cannot change. They they can't alter anything. I mean, if I were Ole Miss or Mississippi State, maybe I would continue to pitch Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy and McLeod and Bednar. And I mean, even Landon Sims, I, I would keep these guys on a very strict low pitch count. Like I would take them to Hoover and let them throw four innings and 65 pitches. Because if this is accurate, which nobody has denied this, the NCAA is going to make their selections for host sites at the end of April. And they'll announce it in a couple weeks later in May before the conference tournaments begin. So you will know if you're hosting or not before the conference tournament begins. I mean, at the end of April, whenever that decision is made, Every baseball game from then on out doesn't really matter unless you're a fringe, like, bubble team. But Ole Miss and Mississippi State will not be bubble teams. Southern Miss will not be a bubble team. They're going to be in. So once April ends, baseball's it's meaningless. It doesn't matter because the postseason, the, the sites will have been selected. So there will be a lot of meaningless baseball in the back end of the season. 
because they're selecting the host sites, the most important thing you're playing for before the season's over. It's incredibly stupid. Also, Super Regionals will be completely jacked up, or it's possible they can be. So I assume when they pick these 16 host sites on merit, even though the season's not over, uh, they will also all be in line to host a Super Regional. So if you're a, a hosting team and you win your regional and a two wins the other, you will still get to host because they've pre-approved you or, or whatever. But it is entirely plausible that a two seed wins one regional and a two seed wins the regional across from it. And because of that, neither of those teams will be able to host a super regional in their ballpark. Instead, both teams, because of COVID safety, will have to travel to a park that isn't theirs in a state that's not theirs to play games in front of a couple hundred people instead of their home crowd. That's what that is. I mean, not an implausible scenario. In fact, I I wouldn't bet against it. A two seed winning a regional across from another two seed winning a regional. They'll have to play at a neutral site somewhere. Who knows if it's close to them or not. But both teams will then have to travel. Both fan bases will then have to travel, and they'll play in a, in a ballpark that's not theirs, in a town that's not theirs, in an atmosphere that's going to stink compared to what they could have had in their home ballpark. And um, last thing is, do not expect to fill stadiums. Don't don't expect it because it's not going to happen to me. Uh, I I would love to be proved wrong. I'm I don't think I'm wrong on this. Even if. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are awarded host sites, even if they are. The state being wide open won't matter because it's the NCAA's event. They get to set the rules. Um, There will be capacity limitations. And I, I promise you they'll be there, even though we are a couple months away from this happening. Uh, I saw on the news this morning uh, there's a double mutant variant that everybody's now worried about. Cases are up in a hand, and the northern half of the country, really. Uh, I thought it was ironic that they ran a story about the Texas Rangers having full capacity, and they said, how can they do this when cases are up everywhere? And they showed a map of where cases are up, and Texas is not one of those places. Anyway, don't want to go down that road today. But the point is, the NCAA is running the tournament. The NCAA makes the rules. They set they set it, and the schools have to follow it. If the NCAA says our stadiums for this tournament can only be at 25% capacity, guess what? Your regional and super regional can only be at 25% capacity. And I, I would expect that if I were you. Um, that's coming for sure even if the state is open like it is right now, even though you, you're putting 10,000 people in your stadiums right now, that's not how it's going to go down. And, and what's mystifying is why they made this decision today and why they're determining these host sites at the end of this month when there's a lot of baseball to be played. What, what a smart person would do, but they don't exist in the NCAA, what a smart person would do is look at Get your committee together that's making these selections and pick 30 teams. There's 16 host sites, but you tell, I don't know, you get your top 30 in the RPI or or something like that. You get 30 teams and say, hey, you guys are most in line for a regional host. 
here are our guidelines for protocol, COVID protocol for hosting a regional in your ballpark. Prepare to be selected. You may not be, but prepare to be. And instead of doing merit-based, with when there's a month plus left in the season, you actually do it merit-based when the season's over and have all 16 parks that you choose prepared to host a regional. You don't have to make the selection today. You tell as many teams as you feel comfortable with that, hey, you could play your way into hosting a regional. You can be that team. We're not going to select until the end of the season, but here are our protocols. Here's what you need to do to get your stadium ready. And if you're selected, execute that plan. What is so hard about that? This is complete nonsense. The whole thing is complete nonsense. And especially because this wouldn't happen in other sports. Home field advantage is a thing, especially in a lot of places. Arkansas, Oxford, Starkville. I mean, Gainesville could have a good home atmosphere if they hosted a regional. Tennessee would pack that place out for sure, no doubt, and they're in line to host a regional. Texas A&M in a regular year, LSU in a regular year. South Carolina, Clemson has a great atmosphere. North Carolina has a great atmosphere here. I'll pull up the rankings. I'll pull up the D1 rankings. Home field makes a difference, especially in college baseball, because not many people are used to playing in atmospheres like you would get in these regionals. Vanderbilt doesn't really have one. Tennessee would pack the place out. Louisville would have a great atmosphere. They'd pack the place out. Uh, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Louisville, Texas Tech, East Carolina. I mean, all these places would pack their stadiums out. Oklahoma State built a brand-new ballpark. They would pack it out. It would be a real, true home atmosphere. Louisiana Tech just built a brand-new ballpark. They're going to get screwed here. Forgive my language, but they are. They're going to get completely screwed here by this deal. But when you look at the top 25 right now, according to D1, these are great atmospheres. Or what should be, what could be, great college baseball atmospheres. They're going to be pre-selected. It's insanity. And looking on the outside, looking in, Miami could play their way into a host. Not anymore. Oregon State could play their way into a host. Oregon could play their way into a host. Arizona, Virginia, I mean, it's it just does not make any sense why you would choose to do it this way right now. But could you imagine this happening in any other sport? Back to the question I just asked. Could, think about it like this. The college football playoff committee picks the bowl games in October. Yeah, these are the four best teams. We think they're going to be playoff teams, so they can go there. Imagine that. Imagine this happening in March Madness, before the conference tournaments. Go ahead and pick in the field. Home atmospheres in college baseball matter, and you're going to award it to teams that haven't finished their season yet. And a team that could get hot and play their way into a host, it has happened before, it will happen again, it'll happen this year. They don't get the chance to do that now. We are awarding advantages to teams that will have not fully earned them yet. All for what? For what? They, they claim it, it's COVID safety. And, 
again, I certainly understand that. I'm not going to knock somebody for adding protocols in place. I'm not going to do that. But you can do it better than this. All it took or all it should take is one person to put their hand up and say, hey, we don't have to do it like this. We don't have to award home field advantage in the postseason before the season's over. I mean, look, Florida State is ranked 17th. After April, their games don't matter. doesn't matter. They could get hot, win a bunch of games in a row, win the ACC tournament, and it won't matter if they're still that first team looking out. It won't matter. It's crazy that, that they think that this is acceptable, that this is the best way to do it, but who knows. And the Super Regional thing is going to be a disaster. I mean, college baseball is a very niche, very niche sport. And you could put it on display by putting great atmospheres on display. And you'll get the chance to do that if Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Arkansas get to the Super Regionals and they're hosting. It's going to be incredible. Or will it? Because I think there's going to be capacity limits. But you'll end up having two teams having to play a Super Regional in a neutral site in front of tens of people. It's it's just stupid. But it's the NCAA. And uh, that's what they do. That's what they do. Um, knowing that this is merit-based, though, I think it... it but what's the definition of merit-based? I mean, is it just exclusively they're going to pick them like they always would, or is there going to be more to it? Um, if it wasn't merit-based, if Kendall's initial report was how they were going to do it, I would not have been surprised at all if they would look away from open states because they want to set capacity limits. I mean, would they follow Major League Baseball's lead and not give a site to Georgia? I don't know, but it, it feels like that is not the process here. If it's going to be merit-based, at least you hope that they actually reward it based on merit and no outside factor. But this whole thing is just an unnecessary mess that they've created for themselves, and that is the slogan of the NCAA. Instead of helping student-athletes go pro in something other than sports, whatever their their latest tagline is, it should be NCAA, creating unnecessary problems from our incompetence. That's what you, Anyway, this is a joke. Um, just even if you get a host, don't expect to put 12,000 people at, at Duty Noble. I, I'd put my mortgage on that. Uh, I'm that confident in that. Anyway, it's frustrating, but it's the NCAA. This is what they do. And on that note, um, Ole Miss played yesterday against North Alabama. Nothing significant about that at all, except for uh, what happened to Tim Elko. He um, was running into first. It was a non-contact injury, fell holding his knee, limped off the field, was in the dugout after the game on crutches in a brace. Uh, his teammates were um, hugging him almost like in support, of course, but it, it kind of felt like it was one of those moments where everybody involved kind of knew what was going on. Um, he'll get an MRI today. Mike Bianco couldn't really clarify anything other than that last night. Um, basically, just, you know, he'll get an MRI 
It does not look good at all. Uh, you hope it's just some kind of a sprain or a strain, but it did not look good at all yesterday. And it's just a shame. Uh, I mean, th- this kid, he's the team captain, so obviously he's a very important piece from an emotional standpoint for that team. But last year, he was playing extremely good baseball, and then COVID cut the season short. This year, didn't get off to the best start in the world, but now he's just been absolutely red hot. I mean, playing his way up a draft board, like really playing good baseball, the centerpiece of a team that is ranked in the top five. He's the team captain, and then this happens, and it derails his season. It just it might derail his season. I, I certainly I don't have the results yet. I'm just assuming based on look, and I shouldn't do that. But if it is, in fact, um, a season-ending injury, I mean, there are so many layers, and each of them are awful. Uh, for the kid himself, he was playing his way. I mean, every week he was making himself a little bit more money, moving himself up up boards. I mean, it was going to be a professional player at some level after this year if he just kept this going. He still can be. I'm not saying that would end it, but he was just so playing so well the last few weeks, and that ends. Um, it's his last year. His team, I mean, he's a centerpiece of his team. It's a huge blow to their chances uh, to make noise. It's all bad. It's just it's all bad if it ends up being a long-term thing. And as far as options to replace him, I don't know. I mean, I don't mean to to talk like this about a college kid, but it is my job. Kale Baker does not belong in the lineup. I don't think you just throw him in there. He has not shown you anything that says he can replace or, or even be a – a plug in the hole of that production at all. Um, is it Trey LaFleur? I mean, I think he's got the highest upside there. Uh, do you move things around and, and get Plumley uh, on the field somehow? Do you, I don't know, maybe get Justin Bench to play first base and move McCants back in the infield and have Leatherwood and Plumley in the outfield? I don't know. I, I don't know what they do. I'm fascinated to see what the lineup looks like tonight, but I don't know if we'll – have any clarity it's all corn state so uh, what bianco does from here is um that's an interesting proposition i don't know if any of the options are are ideal obviously it's just a huge blow to that team um a huge huge blow to that team and their goals and and everything are just going to be that much more difficult now because of this and what it could be if it is what everybody thinks it is um, it just sucks, and I just I feel so bad for the kid. I mean, that's a lot of people lose sight on. Oh, what does it mean for the team? How are they going to replace him? They kind of forget that that's a human uh, that just possibly. Again, I don't know, um, but if it's as bad as it looked, it's a kid that just lost his last year as a team captain, playing the best baseball of his life. It just you hate it, and I have seen a lot of a lot of hindsight. I mean, I haven't had somebody ask me yesterday, you know, what the hell is he doing in the game? It was 16 to four or whatever. In the, what was he doing in the game? First of all, it was the fourth inning. It was a non-contact thing. I mean, that could have happened in practice. It could have happened in warm-ups. It, it could have happened anytime. Um, and that's a team that beat you a couple years ago. I, I just, I am not going to fault Mike Bianco for Elko being in the fourth inning of a game when he gets injured in a, just a freak way. I mean, that just happens at sports, but there's a lot of revisionist um, hindsight, a lot of really smart people in hindsight saying that he shouldn't have been in the game 
when you wouldn't have thought twice about it. You wouldn't have said anything at all unless he got hurt. It's sports. It happens. It's going to happen again at some point, too. But criticizing Mike Bianco for him being in the game in that moment, in the fourth inning of a game, I just that's not something I'm going to do. Uh, I, I just I don't think that's fair. That was a freak accident. It happens in sports. It happens all the time. It, it's unfortunate. It's sad, really. I hate it for the kid, but I'm not going to criticize. Because I, I never... I'm not going to criticize it now because I never would have if he didn't get hurt. So, there you go. Speaking of baseball, something funny to close tonight. Did you guys see uh, the Astros in uh, Anaheim last night? So, there was a guy in center field who had a broken arm. So, he's got his arm in some kind of brace thing. And he lugged a trash can to the front row of center field and he, with his broken arm, hoists the trash can up and puts it on the rail of the front row of the stadium. And while when Altuve's up to bat, he's just banging this trash can, just banging this trash can over and over and over again. And a couple of other fans threw trash cans literally on the field while Altuve was up. And this is something that we missed last year. The Astros, I've seen people say, oh, we need to get over it because it was four years ago. Yes, what they did was four years ago. We found out at the end of the last season with fans in the stands, 2019. We didn't know this happened until the end of 2019. Last year, no fans were in the stands. So, no, Angels fans, broken arm guy in center field, banging on a trash can while Altuve's up to bat, does not need to forget about this. None of the players got punished. You had a Reds player get more suspension for yelling let's go at a pitcher who threw at him, didn't fight him, didn't do anything, just yelled at the pitcher. That's all he did. Just yelled at him. That's it. He got suspended more than Astros players who were using a camera feed to signal pitches to batters on the field. A closed-circuited camera feed they were using to steal signs and relay that message to the batter. None of those players got suspended. I hope they get this at every single ballpark they play at this year because they deserve it. Major League Baseball didn't punish them. In fact, there's only one guy left in the whole thing that's not in a dugout that was involved in this. Every player, none of the players got suspended. Both of the coaches, or or two other guys that were involved, are back in the dugouts. There's only one guy left that is not currently still uh, with a team. Civilian justice. The fans have to do it because Major League Baseball is too weak to do it. So keep banging trash cans, throw them on the field, boo Altuve and Bregman until you're blue in the face because they deserve it. This is their first time back in stadiums where actual people are there. They deserve this, and I'm glad they're getting it, and they need to get it all year long because they cheated the game, and they got caught, and they did not get punished. So that made me happy last night. But anyway. That's it for me. I'm at the 30-minute mark, so I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Always glad that you are with me. Check out the radio show this afternoon, of course. And until tomorrow, you'll have a great rest of your day. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.